This is Pretty Much Pop, a culture podcast today covering time loops in film, a la Groundhog Day, Palm Springs, Edge of Tomorrow, etc. I'm Mark Linton-Meyer, definitely in the nihilistic phase of my time loop journey. I'm Erica Spires, again. And once again, none of this matters. I'm just going to have to do it again tomorrow and for the rest of my life. I'm Brian Hurt, definitely in the nihilistic phase of my journey. And I'm Ken Gerber, and my pet groundhog Stephanie has an advanced degree in atmospheric science. But sure, let's listen to Punxsutawney Phil. (laughs) Thanks for joining us yet again, Ken. Great to have you. Oh, it's a pleasure to be here. I love getting invitations from you guys. It's a pretty big stretch. You might remember Ken joining us during our time travel episode, and we thought we'd really push him by doing a time loop episode instead. I think that's perfect. We need it because we need to know the difference, the real difference between the two. Well, and the Twilight Zone episode, which you might think that this time loop gimmick is basically a Twilight Zone episode, and that's it. Not a genre. It is a shtick that specifically, I suppose, this 12.01 p.m., a short story made into a short film, made into a long film, which is really just a Twilight Zone episode, basically. A guy is repeating the end, and that should be all there is to it. First of all, happy Groundhog Day, everyone. This episode is coming out on Groundhog Day, so let's pretend we're already there and reliving it. That's why we're doing this, or somehow why we landed on this topic, and maybe as an excuse to have Ken back on. And someone should mention what the hell we're talking about with Groundhog Day loops for someone who doesn't know what that is and what specifically it is and what specifically it ain't, because there are a lot of movies that are time loop movies that aren't really what we're talking about today. Ken, give it a shot. This is a great showcase of the flexibility of my knowledge and the the breadth of it, because as you pointed out, I can handle all kinds of subgenres of time travel science fiction. (laughs) Interestingly, I did not see uh, Groundhog Day at all when it came out. Uh, I kind of knew about it because it's one of those movies that seems to get talked about enough outside of the actual, you know, people who just came out of the film. I'll do my best to tell it for those who somehow like hadn't heard of it. A Groundhog Day movie, I guess lower G and H, is uh, one in which a character, usually one who's unlikable at first and maybe unlikable the whole way, repeats a day or repeats a time period and are the only character in the story who realizes that time is repeating. And each time they repeat, everything resets except for that character's knowledge of previous iterations of the time loop. Sound about right? That's a very concise way to put it, yes. Great podcast, everybody. All right, now let's do it again. That's right, Ken. And as we were putting together our list of which ones we had seen and not seen, a number of things came up that are very much time loop movies, people who are reliving the same period of time, but typically they are going through it as a different iteration of their own character from the first time through. And Back to the Future 2 is one that a lot of people will know as Marty McFly relives the events of Back to the Future 1, but he's also witnessing himself and he is a separate character going through that same time space. And we see that a lot in a lot of different movies and and in science fiction, but that's not the Groundhog Day time loop. And more recently with Groundhog Day having come out in the early 90s, is that right? 93. Okay, 93. Uh, More recently, much more recently would have been the Netflix series Russian Doll and the movie on Hulu, Palm Springs, for those who think that we always just talk about stuff from our own youth. And there are so many tropes in these types of movies that Brian has created something that we will share with you all that I highly recommend which is Groundhog Day Bingo. 
I really enjoyed using this as I went along and watched some things this week, Brian. Did you play? Did you win? Did you get a bingo? Yeah, I did. I got a bingo. I watched Before I Fall this week, which is not something that I thought was going to be a good movie. But like just for the sake of the podcast, I was like, "Ah, why not? I'll throw that in there. And it was one of those movies that was easy to watch while I was also doing work and playing bingo all at the same time. So some of this stuff, I'm not as well-read as you. We all know this. Like solipsism, I actually had to look up and I'm still kind of confused about what exactly that is. Oh, I'm just a bullshitter, Erica. So I don't know what it means. I believe it means that you believe that you are the only person that actually exists, that the universe is either an illusion or a construct or just something that it's you and everyone else is not actually. How am I doing, Mark and Ken, the philosophers? Yeah, that sounds right to me. I guess the idea here would be that someone who is the only person who knows that the day is repeating, you could see where they might think, the one who exists, this is my universe, my dream, and who knows what else is outside of it. The funny is that that was the one entry on the bingo card that I couldn't remember specifically matching up with any of the works that I watched. Did you have one in mind where the character like uttered, oh my God, I'm the only person alive or something like that? You know, I was hoping that the movie Groundhog Day itself would be a blackout card, but I'm sure it's not. And it could well be. You know what, Ken, maybe we'll write a story with solipsism as the thing. So rather than believing that you're the only person that matters, like more of like a messiah complex, solipsism is believing that your universe literally is the only one that exists. Other people are just almost like a program and you're the you're the only real living thing. And I think Messiah Complex should better be Messiah Complex slash God Complex, because we definitely see that with Phil Collins. Uh, Collin. Phil oh Collins. What's his last name? Connors. Connors. Phil Connors and, and Groundhog Day. Who found doing research for this podcast to be an utter and miserable grind? I enjoyed it. I was interested in where this idea came from. I was looking for historical, you know, short stories that were early on. And it sort of seems to be something that happened very gradually. And that short story that I mentioned from 1973, 12.01 p.m., maybe the first one with a full-on time loop. You know, that's not actually not true. But that guy, Richard A. Lupoff, as I said, his short story was made into a, a film twice in 1990 first, and then a TV movie also in 1993, the same year as Groundhog Day. And he regarded Groundhog Day as completely ripped off from him. But I also found one, Malcolm Jameson doubled and redoubled from 1941, which that one, he has been cursed by a gypsy, or rather blessed. He At the beginning of his day, he gives a gypsy, a homeless person, way too much money. And she's like, mutters apparently that his next wishes will come true. And he said, has such a good day. He's like, I wish every day would be like today. And so he finds this out when he consults a magician deep into his repeats who uh, manages to set things right. Has there ever been a property that explores the other idea where everybody else is going through a time loop and there's only one person that's actually having anything change in their day? Just a flippant and reverse it kind of Groundhog Day? Oh, you mean where everyone knows things are changed except for one poor soul who doesn't notice? That would be very strange. I'm thinking what was making me think of this is is this whole quarantine, right? Where we all kind of feel like we're living the same day over and over and over. But maybe there's one really lucky person who's just going about and doing whatever the hell they want. And guess what? I mean, there are people doing that. And the rest of us are literally just living the same day over and over. 
in Kurt Vonnegut's time quake, everyone goes back in time and has to witness themselves reliving their lives. They can't change anything, but they are observers to their own mistakes. Is All of society just has to relive a good portion of their lives. That's the right one, isn't it, Ken? Yeah, I think that's the one. Not quite the same thing, Erica, but it is a, an effect that happens to everybody. But somehow it's to be repeating and not being able to stop yourself from repeating is somehow the, a little bit the opposite of it, I think, yeah. I think a precursor to this kind of time loop that we're talking about is I want to go back and live my life over knowing what I know mm -hmm. now. So that at least goes back to 1915. There's a whole novel called The Strange Life of Ivan Osokin that apparently is that thing. And there have been more recent versions of that. There's a famous novel called Replay from 1986 where a person lives 20 whole years of their life and does that repeatedly. So there are all sorts of different variations of this. I think we've settled with Groundhog Day on the day-long thing, which is less irritating than in 12.01 p.m. where it's an hour. And his the whole thing is like, how much can you actually get done in an hour? I want to go talk to a scientist about what's going on here. I can't even get to his office <laughs> before the hour is almost up. Like, you can just do almost nothing. If it's been done so many times and Groundhog Day really wasn't the original why is Groundhog Day, as far as three of you are concerned, so revered? It caught me a little bit by surprise that it was so revered because I watched it, rewatched it. It's a little dated, but it's, you know, it's cute. But people write about it as if it were like one of the greatest American comedies of all time. Did I miss something? Did I just get old? Or is there a reason that you guys can? You can't watch that movie for the first time now and really enjoy it. I mean, Phil is such a dirtbag by modern standards, that it's, I think you can't recapture the magic of what it was like to watch that shtick in 1993. In some ways, I think it speaks to the fact that this is a not very enjoyable storytelling trope when it's not done well. And it can be really tedious to watch a movie that's doing this poorly. And Groundhog Day managed, I think, to do a good job with it in part because I think it succeeded in the humor and I think maybe more Harold Ramis had to do with that than Bill Murray. I don't know if that's sacrilegious, but I think it was so well-directed and so clever, even though looking at it now again, it's gross in a lot of different ways. And I think for people who maybe don't normally watch a lot of science fiction and fantasy, and remember, it definitely wasn't cool to in the early 90s, it captured a lot of people's imagination. So between being clever and funny and you just not being a real hip guy, Ken, to... I think he's too hip. He's too hip to Twilight Zone scenarios. That's what it is. That's right. Well, you know, when you get to the far end of one end of the spectrum, you're back at the other. So he's both too hip and not <laughs> hip enough. <laughs> so I watched this when I was really young. And I think at the time, I just loved Bill Murray. And I loved a good romantic comedy. So I think you're right. I think it's a Harold Ramis thing, too. It's not necessarily just a Bill Murray thing. He was so fun to not like. You know, like he was just an unlikable character, but a lot of the things that he said and did were things that I think that we secretly may want to say or do. So even though we were glad we weren't like him, it also felt like, ah, even before the time loop, right? He just said nasty things and you're like, wow, how could somebody, like when he calls himself the talent. So it was fun to watch as a kid. I enjoyed the heartwarming story. And then when I was in college, I was taking values analysis, which is a general philosophy class that we all had to take. And we watched Groundhog Day in the class and had, of course, a very collegiate philosophical conversation and went into depth about all the 
different philosophical phases he goes through. And that was actually really cool as a 19-year-old to look at this movie that I just happened to like and see that there was a lot more depth to it than I realized as a child. And I haven't watched it a lot since then, honestly, but it is still, to me, one of those movies that I watched so much growing up. It would definitely be considered one of my favorite comedies. Did you rewatch it for this podcast? No, I didn't need to. I've seen it so many times. (laughs) Yeah, I felt I didn't have to either. I remember so much of it Mm -hmm. so clearly. No, you did watch the Twilight Zone, the new Jordan Peele Twilight Zone episode, Try Try, for this podcast. I think when we put our notes together, Paige, you indicated you hadn't, but now you have. Yeah. And it keys in on a very specific type of thing that happens in Groundhog Day. We're just spoiling. We're spoiling everything, right? Spoilers for everyone. Nobody cares if we spoil a Twilight Zone episode. So it's a character played by Topher Grace is Groundhog Daying a woman, tricking, yeah, sure, tricking her to fall in love with him. And he's reliving this day over and over again, getting things right, much the way that Phil does with Nancy in Groundhog Day. And where it was, I think, viewed as clever and charming in Groundhog Day, like the whole point of it in the Twilight Zone is that he is being a totally rapey creep. And of course, looking back at it, so was Phil. What did you think of that episode? And did you think it was effective? And did it change your coloring of Groundhog Day at all? Or were you, did you already have that discussion in college? No, it, it did change it. As I was watching the episode, I was like, man, Topher Grace, he's just so likable, right? And he is. But then I think one of the main differences in the Twilight Zone episode is they keep giving you like creepy music. So he's never quite as charming as he could be if he was given like the cute little Harold Ramis treatment. I think that's one of the main things is like when you're given this structure within romantic comedies, you do see that person less antagonistically. It's just going to happen. But yeah, I thought that was really quite a twist because they actually went through a lot of the same issues that Phil goes through in Groundhog Day. And then all of a sudden, this guy, you think he's either going to murder or rape her or both. And it's really scary. And I'm glad like in the last moment, I was like, oh my God, it's going to end with him coming up to her and she's going to like fall in love with him. And that's going to really creep me out. But I was so happy that they ended it with him walking away from her. Of course, you know, the next day he's going to come back. (laughs) Maybe. Yeah. But they also showed what a bad dude he was in other ways, because part of him getting her attention is saving her from walking in front of a bus. And he doesn't always get the timing right. And sometimes he grabs her too early. But at least once he grabs her, grabs at her too late and she just gets killed. And I think he just sort of shrugs it off. And I'm like, all right, well, give it another shot tomorrow. So the true emptiness of this character really comes to light in yeah, that and one. A lot of these stories were redemption stories. And that one isn't, right? Because he walks away not because he's realized how horrible he is, because he's kind of, not, I don't know, afraid, but like he doesn't want to be confronted again with, he got his ass kicked. So I think he just basically like a nasty dog who got their snout swatted. He kind of slinks off. You know, redemption was one of the big tropes that was in not all, but most of these. So again, that was good that it broke the trope mold a little bit in the, uh, that Twilight Zone episode, which I, we talked about last time was really one of the underrated ones I found. I also thought of Westworld during that, how, you know, initially meeting this wonderful Western lady and falling in love with her. And then the next day she can't remember you and she is programmed to do a meet cute with you in the same way. And eventually you just grow absolutely contemptuous of this and whatever feelings you had originally would just be 
This is obviously an automaton. I, I would see how if you're in that situation, you might see the other people. This is a form of solipsism. Just have absolute contempt for them in their repetitive ways. And because it seems like they're programmed and you're not. I hadn't thought of that one. That's a good Groundhog Day adjacent one there, Mark. One thing I wonder about all of these properties, because I can't think of one that's not like this. I'm sure they're out there. Most of them either revolve around or at least have somebody in there who is a love interest. But I can't think of one that actually has somebody that you're married to that that person can no longer remember things and is reliving, reliving the same day with you. I feel like most of them, the trope is there's another person that you're kind of interested in or maybe you don't like and then you end up liking them and it's about manipulating that kind of relationship. And I was thinking, how difficult would that be? Because I don't think it would work, right? If you're reliving the same day over and over and you have your husband or wife next to you and they don't know and you have to keep reliving that, I think that's a lot more difficult of a story to tell. Many of our married listeners are saying it already feels like every day is. <laughs> I can actually tell you about one, a lesser known one. It seems there was a really a flurry of these things from about 2015 on, where there's this list of time loop movies on Wikipedia, where not all of them are really time loop movies. Some of them, like Looper, are, as we said, it's just time travel. Or let's reimagine how this situation could have gone multiple times. But on Honest to Goodness Time Loop movie, one was called The Fair, which is just a guy picks up a woman in his cab and is driving her across the countryside. And they strike up a conversation. But then within an hour... She disappears, he resets, he forgets, she gets back in the cab. So they're evidently in this loop. And before that long, it does turn out that she's been remembering every single time. And in fact, they are in love. And once that he can finally figure out, he can finally remember as well, then it, for at least a while, becomes a paradise that they don't mind, even though they have to keep doing this cab ride over and over again. They're living together there are a lot of unaddressed questions and the movie gets weirder from there, but at least that is one thing. I guess that was what was going on in Palm Springs, right? At least for a while. In Palm Springs, there was a secondary character who had the married life, right? J.K. Simmons. And for him, this was like the best thing. I mean, he loved every day. Eventually he did. Yes, that was his redemption. Yeah. Right. At the beginning, he was sort of tormented by not getting to see his kids grow old and stuff. But he eventually is like, I had a great day. My one day that I repeated was a great day. And he's okay with that. And it seems that several of these newer shows have had multiple loopers in different ways, right? Edge of Tomorrow has two, and they don't loop at the same time. But it happens. Palm Springs has three. Russian Doll has a couple. Repeaters has three. So looking at the different configurations of having multiple people doing it definitely adds to the complexity of the story. And I think it also speaks to the fact that viewers are better at watching these and you have to throw new wrinkles at them and not necessarily start from the beginning each time because it's not going to be that enjoyable. To the point where Palm Springs, when we first start off, the main character has already been looping and he is spending one of his days just wasting it away because that's the phase he is in. And I think if we haven't seen it from the description of the show, we ease into it very quickly, knowing what's going on without having to see the buildup to that happening. I wonder if anybody has seen Palm Springs without knowing it was a time loop thing. Like, I couldn't get my family to watch it unless I told them. <laughs> I don't know, maybe they'd kind of forgotten by the time it got into it. But it would be honestly interesting to kind of be in the Kristen Malati character's shoes, not knowing that this guy is actually looping and then discover that. I guess just knowing in general that it's about time loops, you don't necessarily know that. 
from the beginning. How did you guys think that movie worked sort of from a storytelling perspective? It had the benefit of being a comedy in part, so it didn't have to be as tight from, I guess, the science fiction or the that fantasy element piece of it. I really liked Palm Springs a lot, in a part because of the performances and because of the comedy and just, I thought it was a fun, tight little movie. Yeah, the cast is so strong in that one. Even with bad material, I think uh, Andy Samberg uh, is good. <laughs> and when he's got good material, uh, Krista Malati is totally underrated. J.K. Simmons is great. It also helped that it was modern, right? So after having watched Groundhog Day, and you could see that Krista Malati had a little more indignation at how she was treated, and it felt better a little bit because it felt modern. I laughed more than I did, or I grinned more <laughs> than I did when I rewatched uh, Groundhog Day. They also explain, I'm doing air quotes now, which are easy to see on a podcast. They identify the source of the time loop, which I guess Groundhog Day never does. I guess they did that intentionally because they didn't want to distract from what was happening. Some of them do and some of them don't. I mean, I'm not sure that Russian Doll explains the source either. I mean, there's going to be a second season, so we'll see, maybe. But it, it's set up as, you know, some kind of karmic thing. And at least it does explore the metaphysics of it, because at some point, the two repeaters, first, there are actually changes that they start noticing. So this is a, a new wrinkle that like things are disappearing from there. It's like the simulation is wearing down. And then not to spoil too much, but this is, it is clear that like there are different possible worlds because they sort of end up in different ones. They end up reliving the first day over again, but the other repeater each can't remember they can't remember each other so they're living in parallel worlds way to begin with not to spoil too much and end with that one mark that was <laughs> well done i will say that got me by surprise and i don't try to guess at movies but i find i'm just not surprised by that much but when that happened in the beginning of the last episode of russian doll and each of them stopped looping but not together i shouted boo at the television because i was so mad in a good way. Like, it totally got me. And it was, I thought that was great. It was a slow start, but the end of Russian Doll, the last few episodes, made me so happy. Also, they had that awesome Harry Nielsen song as the opening of every time she would wake up. And it was, ah, oh, that was a good choice. But that song definitely got worse. By the 15th time I've heard it, I was like, you know, I don't like this song as much as I did. Uh, by the way, it also, it also ends with a great song. Right? It ends with that song by Love. I forget the name of it. I had to look that up. Because that was so, like, what is this? Is this the Moody Blues? What? Yeah. That Love album is sort of the Groundhog Day of albums because it's like an okay album, but people talk about it like it's one of the great albums of all time. It's like in the Smithsonian archive of whatever where they've like listed it as one of American treasures or something like that. It's fine. It's an okay psychedelic album, but. The song is called Alone Again Or. Why, let's stop for a moment for a sponsor break. I'm guessing given pandemic matters that you might want to save money. And if you're still paying insane amounts of money every month for wireless, why are you doing that? Switching to Mint Mobile is the easiest way to save this year because as the first company to sell premium wireless service online only, Mint Mobile lets you maximize your savings with plans starting at just $15 a month, right? The big companies maintain physical stores and things like that, and you are paying for that. Mint Mobile just passes that savings on to you. I have been a Mint Mobile customer for over a year and a half now. They provided me with a free account at first, but when that ran out, I just kept paying for it. So that is a real endorsement. It comes with unlimited talk and text. It is delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. I kept my own phone number. I kept my own phone. They just send you a little SIM card to slot into it. It's very, very easy to switch. 
And if you do switch and you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. To get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free, go to mintmobile.com slash pretty. That's mintmobile.com slash pretty. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash pretty. Another one of the shows that one of you had pointed me to was the episode of Discovery with Harry Mudd. And I thought that one was great. Was I the only one who thought that one was great? You were not the only one on this podcast who thought it was great. So then I'm also <laughs> not the only one in the world. Sure. That was from the first part of season one of Discovery. And actually, it's the second half of that season that really makes that season so great. But Harry Mudd is not a super character from the original series, but his reinvention played by Rain Wilson is really good. And he really sells that episode. And of course, he's using time looping as a weapon because he's able to keep going back. The conceit there is at some point he has to decide to stop looping when he believes he's done good enough or done well enough and wants to live with the outcome. That's a fun, very strong episode. Unlike most of these where the time loop is either inadvertent or the person who's looping has no active part in that loop, by weaponizing the loop, it kind of feels a little less, I mean, even though his explanation, of course, is just as gobbledygook, but he's pressing a button to make it happen, right? So the fact that he's weaponized it makes it feel a little less like mystical and squishy. And the setup that there's one character whose mud wasn't able to prevent from remembering it, but he he's the only one. Now we've got a bad guy and a good guy involved in the loop. And I think it holds together better than most or all of them from our list. Yeah, if we are have reached the point of the podcast where we air our beefs, I should actually admit that I think what should have been the center square on the bingo board is the hand of fate or things are going to happen no matter what you do. Because what I find maybe just kind of deep in my understanding of how the universe works is that as these days reset, they should play out wildly differently each time. Like as soon as you start doing something different when you get out of bed, people should not be coughing exactly when they cough and alarms going off and sprinklers going, whatever, all the things that, and certainly 10 minutes into your day, the butterfly effect of randomness. Like, why are these days so damn similar when you've already started doing things differently? It's like when people say, man, I wish I had gone to that baseball game because that great play happened. It's like, well, if you had gone to the baseball game, that play wouldn't have happened. It would have been a different day that was happening that day. So, you know, just be happy it happened. It's just my philosophical, that's too strong a word. It is just my outlook on how I think the world works. But that makes for terrible narrative. So we drop the hand of fate in the center square and say, well, there is a stickiness to certain events happening that are going to happen no matter what, apparently, when your day starts going differently. Right. It almost makes it like the opposite of a butterfly effect type movie. Except when I was watching Before I Fall, they actually talk about the butterfly effect in the movie and how just a butterfly flapping its wings like it's this new thing that nobody's ever heard of. I mean, they are in high school, but... Still, I'm tired of it. So they talk about that. And I think they actually say like a bluebird or something. Like they don't even use the word butterfly. (laughs) It's a weird (laughs) choice. It feels really weird. But the main character keeps changing how she plays the day. And everybody else is literally giving the same lines the rest of the day. So they hung a lampshade on it and said, we acknowledge it and we don't care. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, this, this whole idea of fate being involved. So one of the things I just watched this morning, I looked up, there was an X-Files episode from season six called Monday, 
where a woman is reliving the same day over and over again, where her husband goes into a bank and then encounters Mulder and Scully and ends up blowing up the bank, killing everybody. And she just can't stop this. She does all this different stuff. They don't show a lot of this, but she says to prevent her husband from leaving, to prevent Mulder and Scully from going in there. And it just seems to always happen. And it only actually snaps up because seemingly Mulder somehow, after it's been explained to him a couple of times, basically starts to remember through the repeats. Through no explicable thing, actually the woman ends up getting killed. And so that resets it. But there's no explanation either for like why fate meant that this had to happen until she died. You know, it's just... If you're already having something weird like a time loop in there with no scientific explanation, why not also have fate or something as well, (laughs) I guess? But one good thing about that is that there did seem to be randomness in a lot of the little things of like the actual synchronicity of how you happen to get out of bed or whatever. Like you don't, everybody doesn't say exactly the same thing every time. And it's not just because of the effect of the previous loops. It seems like along with like certain events are fated to happen, other things, there's just an irreducible randomness, which I liked. Yeah. And that actually is a little more my worldview, right? Is that if you did get a chance to reset a day, a lot of the things that are sort of like depend on sort of fluid dynamics, you know, would would be totally different. You know, the baseball game would be different because a ball that is hit at a slightly, you know, even a split second difference goes in a very different angle and place. But my alarm that I set is still going to go off at the right time. And, you know, the weather may not be exactly the same, not the same exact raindrops, but, you know, if it was a 90% chance of rain, then in, you know, nine out of 10 of those, that's a probability works, I'm told, um, nine, <laughs> <laughs> nine out of 10 of those simulations, you should get rain. I mean, if it was a good forecast, the brick wall that didn't just crumble because nothing ran into it probably still won't just crumble. I mean, it, a lot of stuff will just stay the same, right? Well, one of the articles we read likened this phenomenon to save scumming, which is the in a video game when you save frequently and when you don't like the outcome, you just go back to your save game and you keep replaying it and replaying it till it goes the way that you want. And that was played out in the Rick and Morty episode, the Vat of Acid episode, where Morty challenges Rick to make this for him to be able to go back and to save positions in his life. Because it's Rick and Morty and so smart, of course, there are horrifying consequences to this happening. I think it's creating multiple universes every time he does it and killing off the Morty that was there. But it's hard not to watch these movies and even when they're not interesting to start thinking about how you would live their day. I mean, at least it it always has that going for it that you can try to think through the smartest way to live through what are in some cases pretty crappy situations. Because even though it's winter and it's Punxsutawney, Phil has access to pancakes and Andy McDowell, whereas... In Edge of Tomorrow, you're pretty much stuck with Normandy Beach with bugs or at best getting as far as London before everything falls apart on you. If you do a modern take on this now and you acknowledge all of the things that have come before, you have to take into account that your actions do matter even if you continue to relive. Because we don't know if we're creating another universe, right? We don't know if these multiple time loops are just other parts of... Well, actually, she gets into this on Try Try. She's like, even if this is new for you, my life continues to go on. So it does matter for me. Or even if he does kill her, then that affects all of her family for whatever that timeline is that she's gone. And even if that doesn't happen and that 
is a little pocket universe that snuffs out of existence every time he restarts. If he kills someone, he has the knowledge of having killed someone, right? And I don't know if that character will get PTSD or he is changing himself by living that day every day. And consequences are real to him, even if they're not real to anybody else. Mm-hmm. You should talk about repeaters, Brian. I see we are the only ones that actually watch that drug addict movie. Well, it's three people who are in recovery, and they are all reliving this same day. And it's the day that they are supposed to go out and whatever step it is to make their amends. So this is their first free day they're allowed to leave the facility. And two of them are generally good people who made bad choices in the third is just a bad dude who is going to use that day to kill cops and rape underage girls. So, I mean, this thing is super dark and not enjoyable. Maybe you thought it was a laugh-out-loud comedy, Mark. I don't know. The nice people are Ted from Schitt's Creek and Monica from Silicon Valley, which when I saw this before, years ago, I did not know either of those actors. And now seeing them and like, oh, those are the, that's the nice guy from Schitt's Creek. Like, it was way more enjoyable. <laughs> Go on. It was a tough movie to watch and not particularly enjoyable, as I said, to watch. And it's one value that it does add is it it does show that there are people who would behave in not cute criminal ways like Phil, but truly criminal ways. And I guess you have to also be a little challenged to know, well, where would you draw your lines? Like, I think I would just steal whatever I wanted to steal. Like, I know I would. That would seem like such a victimless crime to me to just take whatever I wanted Like, property-wise, I'm just going to relive this day, and no one who I stole it from is going to be. But what do you want that you can't have now? The Declaration of Independence. Oh, well, (laughs) yeah. Uh, I was just going to say, contact with other people? I don't know. (laughs) Going anywhere and doing anything? No, you can't steal that, though. Well, I guess you kind of can if you're reliving. Yeah, I'm with Ken. The Declaration of Independence. Brian, though, makes, I think, an important distinction here. And uh, so as we currently sit, like in some sense, every bad thing we do, whoever we've done it to will someday die. And then the memory or whatever of that crime is gone. So in some sense, whether we're rebooting in an hour or a day or in 70 years, well, don't worry, I, I'm, I'm going to commit some horrible assault. But in 70 years, it'll, it will be rebooted when they die. The only difference is that one person remembers doing it. I like to think that I would view the person who's experiencing a physical act against them even if they reboot, that in that moment, they are experiencing it. And that's what matters. Not whether I remember it, but the fact that some sentient being is is experiencing it. So if Brian limits his crimes to theft, to... Late treason. (laughs) That was a funnier joke before (laughs) 1-6. Anyway. (laughs) If you limit yourself to not hurting people, I mean, maybe maybe ideally you steal from people who won't... I mean, you also don't want to steal something that someone would value and it'd be heartbreaking for them, right, to lose. I mean, that not really a victimless crime. But, you know, I thought about how I would react, and I think my mental health would suffer so badly that I'm not sure I'd get to a like a daily strategy. I think I would be so tormented by what I was convinced was my own loss of mental health. To actually repeat a day and have no one remember it, I don't see how I would go on. I really don't. This is like what we discussed in our Twilight Zone episode. How long in your story do you devote to the person coping with the situation they're in? Which in movies like Groundhog Day... We simply skip a lot of that. We just, you know, he's had a lot of repeats. He's gone to some very dark places. We see a few little bits of it. But it just, it would be very annoying storytelling 
unless that's what it's about. It's like somebody has a weird thing happen to them and they're crushed. <laughs> like that doesn't sound like an entertaining story. I don't want <laughs> it's like having an alien abduction story and the person gets returned, but it just has PTSD from being abducted. And that's the whole movie. Like maybe there is a movie like that. I don't know that I want to see it. That's a good point that would actually happen and what makes a good story. They're probably not the same thing. Yeah, I remember early on having discussions with friends when I was a teenager about how many days did Phil Connors live that Groundhog Day. And the first thought was, oh, I think somebody said they counted the days and they're like, it's just an extra month. What if it's just six weeks? I mean, we know it's probably not that because I think somebody has actually counted it, but also like how long would it take him to be great at ice sculpture and piano and all these things. But I think had they contained it to those six weeks, that would have been a tighter story. And it really would have made sense that they chose Groundhog Day as the theme. I like the idea. It's a more pure thought experiment if it's basically forever. And then eventually something happens that they figure out a way out, maybe. But if it's really... There's no doubt about the metaphysics of it. I don't know. This is at least the conclusion in Groundhog Day and Palm Springs that they come to is that it will always repeat. Nothing I do have consequences. And so that really is, okay, if there's no consequences, how would you choose to live your life? So Groundhog Day, you know, has a very clear message about making yourself into a virtuous person and virtue is its own reward. So there's something pure about that in a way that in Russian Doll, like she's getting concerned as she's going, like, I was going to meet your daughter, but I know that I die every day. And what if all these, every single day I'm visiting a possible world, she's not being a solipsist. What if all these things are real? That means I'm dying in front of whoever it is I'm around every single day. Maybe I want to really control my movements based on that. That's a whole different thought experiment. There are a few people who have this weird reverse act of menace where they give like a huge tip or they give away their gold chain because you can. I can give like a gold chain to someone who's homeless over and over and over again because I, I get it back the next time, and each time it makes them happy. I think in the Kurtwood Smith version of 1201, he also gives like a you know a big tip, like a you know he donates or gives some money to a homeless person, and is is kind with him too. He defends him, but again, you can do that, and maybe that is the better way. I mean, it's maybe that is the better way to go about this. It's an act I can do. I can be generous over and over and over again, and the same person multiple times experience a fresh act of kindness. Ooh, that's beautiful. So you have multiple worlds, potentially, with good things happening in those worlds over and over and over again. So how would that then affect the other worlds? Or, or at a minimum, for an hour, we made somebody happy, right? And then I did it again and again and mm-hmm. again and again. You made me curious, though, Ken. I, I want to see your gold chain. Uh, it was, uh, I'm talking about <laughs> Russian doll. Oh, her Yeah, well, it was a chain and a necklace, or a little uh, or coin. On the, yeah. you know, okay, I'm with you. Did you end up liking... That, by the way, Ken, I know you didn't enjoy it. At- I watched it uh, the f- one episode several months ago, fresh when it was a, a newer show, and didn't keep watching because of Natasha Leone's character, but I ended up being so happy with the ending. And I was prepared to not spoil the ending for everybody, but it is worth it because the last episode, at least in my opinion, has the freshest conclusion of all of them. All they had to do, because I, I think if Natasha Leone's abrasiveness is toned down by half, She's still super abrasive, but it's a little more tolerable. Funny, there, there's a, a totally tertiary character. Burt Young, who plays like one of like the gruff guys in Rocky, is the guy who he, he comes out of the Allen's apartment a couple times. He's the old guy. And I thought like Natasha Leone was like imitating Burt Young in this where, you know, come on, Rocky, 
She's such an interesting character and always has been. She's like the Tom Waits of, of acting. <laughs> That's good. You know, she's always going to be this kind of surly old woman from the time she's a teenager all the way on. She's just she's just aging into what she's always been. She mentions Andrew Dice Clay, too. <laughs> she's. I'm just looking at this Thrillist article. And in postmortem about the ambiguous ending of the first season, Leon also hinted that there could be multiple versions of the characters walking around depending on how successful they were at escaping their loops. It raises the question of how many versions of the characters are there altogether. That's certainly something that was considered. In this video game sense, it presents a question of, do they in fact just enter a whole new sort of scenario in that moment that they kind of completed that around? Sounds like plenty of material for about 50 more seasons. Well, I like your interpretation, Erica, of Groundhog Day as maybe I did the perfect day. And so if I do that every day, then that's that many possible worlds that I'm spinning love out into, which is not how I considered it at all. I thought he would like was certain that, you know, he was being solipsistic, that it's really just it's like playing a video game. We haven't mentioned this video game comparison. It's just an obvious thing that you we all can be. <laughs> in this situation just by playing the same damn video game over and over and over again. But if you, you know, after you discover all the secrets and places you could get points, like there's, can you have the perfect run? And so that's kind of what he's doing. And let, and nobody benefits from that except you and your sense that, wow, that's cool to have the perfect run. But there also is the sense of what if this is real or what if I actually do wake up tomorrow or I guess thinking that the perfect run is the thing that you're shooting for and then you do get to actually get out of it, which I think is what happens. I mean, it would be kind of amazing if they end up doing one of these movies. And the one time that they get out of that time loop is when they make the worst decisions. And then the rest of the movie is just dealing with the aftermath. Well, that is kind of what some of what happens in repeaters. I guess I should have watched repeaters. This is what you're telling me. It's it's a big two thumbs up. It's not that good. <laughs> it's an interesting variation. And the fact that they're addicts and addicts always go back to the same patterns. Like it just really slams you over the head with this thing. And I don't mind giving away the end of that is there also is a multiple reality kind of thing in that because two of the characters finally do the thing that they're supposed to do. The third character who I think, despite what Brian said, is not evil by nature, but just is firmly convinced in the solipsistic character of it, that I can do anything. I'm in the video game. Why would I not want to go rape and murder? just to see what that's like. I think it's even implied in Palm Springs that he did that before we encounter the character. But in Repeaters, you know, even though they fulfill what they need to do, the third one is acting worse than ever, and they realize that they're actually already out of the time loop. They realize it's the next day already, and he's been, like, murdering people all day. Their lives go on, the two people, but then he wakes up again and apparently has given yet another chance. So there are always more variations one can have. And even the end of Palm Springs does a similar weird thing with the third character, right? With J.K. Simmons. And possibly a fourth character. Mm-hmm. The grandmother. It's, it's hinted at, right? Mm-hmm. So. We don't know how she got out of it or if she, like. Or if, if she wants to. She's old and maybe this is her, her retirement, is living a very nice day over and over. Yeah. You talked about the video game. Um, if I'm not mistaken, Edge of Tomorrow is, uh, was inspired by a video game. Is that right? Or by a person who played video games. Yeah. But it's based on a what's called a light novel, which is some kind of cross of YA and manga in Japan. And All You Need Is Kill, which I read the beginning of in the Look Inside preview on Amazon. And I think the author of that was inspired by this notion of rebooting as a video game. I think that's right. So is it safe to say that we don't need any more of these? 
that if we lived out our TV and movie and book reading lives without encountering another time loop per se, that we wouldn't look back and regret, you know, why didn't they make more of these? No, I don't agree <laughs> at all, Ken. I think we acknowledge it as a trope like time travel or faster than light travel or ESP or anything else that is not the subject of the story so much as something that is used to tell the story. And if you can do it well, that's great. And if you can do it poorly, you're among the millions who can do it poorly. Congratulations. <laughs> I think it's challenging. And I think like comedy, when it fails, it fails spectacularly. Yeah, perhaps the problem is that in the last week, I've watched about eight hours of this trope. <laughs> well, that's why I called research the grind. I didn't really mean research like you did, Mark, <laughs> like learning about it. I meant research in quotes that I'm now doing that everyone can see in the form of like watching stuff. So watching these movies one after the next in the last week was just the worst. Maybe there's one day per year <laughs> that you could watch a time loop movie. And I'm going to suggest, I don't know, <laughs> I'm just spitballing here, February... <laughs> <laughs> I think that this is something that you could use as a at least once in every genre. So there is like a team sex comedy version of it. There's Happy Death Day to You that we haven't really talked that much about today. That is a, a horror comedy version of it. There's this drama one about addicts that we talked about. There's Before I Fall is a teen anti-bullying screed, basically. <laughs> Apparently it was a popular YA novel before this happened. I noticed there are uh, two that have been made that will be coming, being made available to us that are about police shooting black people. And that seems a really ripe thing because it is something that we get this again and again in the news. It really does seem like a repetitive, like, how has this not been solved? How is this still happening? And the fact that when you suffer any sort of tragedy, of course, that's going to you know, keep coming back to you. Like anytime you get a way to relate this trope to something psychological that actually happens to us, I think that is a great opportunity for a new version of this. And it was done already somewhat in season one of Jordan Peele's Twilight Zone with the video camera, which when you rewind it, you relive. It's, it's not the same day over and over necessarily, but the inciting day that it happens, regardless of what this mother and her son do, the son ends up getting killed by a white cop. So, Erica, you need to be in a musical where this is Time the thing. The musical? We'll see you on Broadway. There is a musical version of Sliding Doors called If Then. It's the same kind of idea. I think what these movies often try to tell us is not just to be a good person, but for ourselves, but to do it for others. And yet we continue to, I'm kind of back on this, we kind of tend to see these time loops go through until somebody does the right thing and then they get the benefit of doing the right thing. And of course, that's why we want to watch it probably because it makes us feel good. But I do wish there was a way to show that these actions do... There is a way to show it. I wish more of them would show that these actions really do affect people for the long term and they can affect them. And maybe even if somebody gets to do time loops over and over again, they do see a slight wear and tear on people to know that like, hey, it's not all about me. I think those are the some of the stories we need right now. And I don't know how to do it the right way to make people want to watch and also feel like what we do actually does matter. Consequences are real. We can't just wipe them away. Whoa. If only. Oh, Erica, all you need is kill. All you need is kill. All together now. <laughs> 
they changed that name to uh, Live, Die, Repeat, and then to Edge of Tomorrow because they thought that would not do well uh, <laughs> marketing-wise for some reason. That was the Japanese. You know, we didn't talk that much about Edge of Tomorrow, but just want to say for anyone who didn't feel it was spoiled and hasn't seen it, that's a really great SF movie. They have definitely give it an enthusiastic recommend. We got our hands on that in preparation for this podcast. And Susan said to me, why can't all movies be as good as this movie? And you done well when your spouse says that to you. <laughs> so good for me. <laughs> well, thanks, audience. Thanks, Ken, again, for joining us. Thank you for inviting me again. I had a great time. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, Ken. Always a pleasure, Ken. Thanks, audience. Perhaps Ken will stay for the after talk. I have several <laughs> other things that I watched for this episode or read to tell you about. And we can keep going and get on different topics. For those who are not... Uh, subscribers or sponsors if you want to hear more of us just listen to this podcast again <laughs> but do so at uh, patreon.com slash pretty much pop and then you'll do so with no ads and be able to hear the bonus footage bye everybody bye. Bye. so long get more pretty much pop at pretty much pop.com get bonus content for every episode at patreon.com slash pretty much pop Pretty Much Pop is part of the Partially Examined Life Podcast Network, and it's also presented by OpenCulture.com.